0: Welcome to the Common Round. Medical education for medical students by medical students. I'm Hamid. And I'm Andy. And joining us today is our executive producer, Gautam. And today our episode will be on lung cancers. It would be remiss of us not to mention this, can- yeah. uh, tum- uh, this um, cancer in our oncology blog. And it's important to know because although lung cancers isn't the most common cancer in the world, but it is definitely the one that kills the most people. Mm, it's it's very, um, very aggressive. And we'll talk about why this is the case. Mm. I think this
1: is going to be our last talk about some of the cancers that are found in the thorax. Okay. Um, and then we're going to move into some more interesting cancers in our future episodes. Yes. But yeah, let's talk about um, these cancers because they're so important important and given the, the lethality and, and how you know how aggressive these tumors are, mm. it's very important to discuss the different types and how to treat it. Yes. But before we do that, let's obviously the everyone knows what the primary risk factor is, right? But smoking, let's mention it. Isn't it. Yeah, possibly. I think um, yeah, it's and it's been notoriously still, denied
0: or actually no that was a joke. Um the evidence is quite clear. Yeah, it's very clear.
1: Yeah. Um, but yeah, so smoking is a primary risk factor and it actually accounts for about ninety percent of all lung cancers. Mm-hmm. Um now, but Jeez. there are specific Yep. aspects about the way you smoke that are really important and they can play a role in terms of you know its relationship with lung cancer do you want to maybe mention those okay um, so four or five factors? I, I
0: believe you mean like let's say how much you smoke yep. like the amount of daily smoke that you do um it, whether if the type of the way you smoke it let's say if you inhale and then hold your breath or you know like the 10 the amount of inhalation the deeper the inhalation mm. the more risk you have yeah uh the duration of smoking, so how long you've been exposed to it, and I guess and also following up on that is the age you yes.
1: started. Yeah, exactly. And I guess uh, pack year history is the the way you would what work that it out. Pack again? So I think pack your history is you div- you ask the patient how many cigarettes do you smoke. So they might say thirty. Now in Australia, a pack of cigarettes is I think twenty yes. cigarettes. Yeah. So you divide the smoking. Mm -hmm. Quantity. So let's say they smoke forty cigarettes per day, which is crazy. That's you know smoking like a chimney. Yeah. You divide that by the pack, and then you times that by the number of years,
0: and that gives you the pack year history. So that's a a forty a day for a whole year. So that's. Two, uh, you mentioned so 20 packs is 40 a day that's two entire packs and if they smoke that for a whole year that's two pack years. two pack years exactly Lovely. so that's a way of quantifying and
1: then communicating this information to other oncologists or other colleagues who um, sure. who may be treating these patients in terms of smoking it's predominantly associated with squamous and small cell lung cancer now don't be alarmed we're going to go into a lot of detail about these two cancers okay but they're the one they're the two that are specifically really associated squamous with
0: squamous and small cell. Yeah,
1: yeah. and it, we can kind of talk about why that's the case. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a, a further down into the episode, mm-hmm. but keep that in the back of your mind. And I think adenocarcinomas, which is another type subtype of lung cancer, is mm-hmm. weakly associated with smoking or is not as 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 associated with smoking. Okay, but does it surprise you that smoking is bad because you no, know no. it's got so many. Uh, do you remember how many carcinogens it has? Beyond more than I could comprehend. I think there's about 60 actually Almost. on last count, which is terrible. And you know, yeah. you're inhaling these. And so a lot of the key carcinogens are the polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons, which are very mutagenic. That's, a, that's one of the important ones. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if you think about it, if you've got 60 carcinogens, there's bound to be these chemicals that are causing mutations mm-hmm. inside your, the cells
0: lining the airway. Um, but are there any other risk factors that are important as well? So, other than that, let's say you got secondhand smoke. What does that mean? Well, let's say if um, uh, you're on a bus and somebody else smokes, you're you're sitting next to them. Just the smoke that they breathe out and you incidentally breathe in, yeah. that, that's a risk factor. Too. Yeah,
1: and I think there's a push in Australia to really ban all forms of outdoor smoking. You know, you mm. can't smoke in the pubs now. I think they're trying to ban smoking in cafes or open spaces. Mm. Um, yeah, so that's the minimized secondhand smoking. What else is there?
0: Uh, so let's say asbestos exposure, That that's definitely one of them. Um, but other, let's say metals... Radon gases. Radon gases are a huge, um, a mm. uh, huge risk factor. So they're, I, I, think they're just ionized gases. I think. From so what uranium, happens?
1: Yeah, I think it's a big problem in the US. So radon is a byproduct of uranium dic- uh, decay. Yeah. And so let's say if you've got basements and stuff, and mm. you're in an area, it's a very, it's a natural gas that's found everywhere because uranium's, you know, all throughout the soil. So- so it builds up in closed spaces, and if you have a basement, and let's say you lived in this house for twenty years, mm. you're constantly exposed to this radioactive material.
0: Oh, that brings about,
1: yeah, that brings oh. about um, DNA damage. Yeah. Um, but there's other. So you mentioned radioactivity as well. Is mm. um, there is there anything else? Are there potentially genetic
0: risk factors as well? Definitely as well. All, all cancers have, or well, most cancers have a genetic risk yeah. factor, and lung lung cancers definitely have, are linked to it. Exactly.
1: Um, so what about Like Everyone assumes that if you're a smoker, you're going to have lung cancer. But a very small percentage of lung cancers are not actually... There's no history of smoking. Mm.
0: Can you identify some of the people that might qualify into that group? Yes. These people of the general population are predominantly women. It could be due to let's say a bit of passive smoking at the workplace. But the can- the lung cancer to memorize that is not a so- that has a weak association with smoking is this thing called the adenocarcinomas, yeah. which we'll go through. Adenocarcinomas are the cancers that are other uh, lung cancers that are weakly associated. Mm-hmm. To, uh, just
1: exactly right, and there's genetic risk factors as well, mm-hmm. and these are important for when we talk about. I mean, we mentioned genetics already, but yeah. patients will have um, uh, endothelial growth factor receptor mutations okay. um, or EML uh, EML four. AOK fusions, which is particularly important in young Asian uh, non-smokers, are at an increased risk of developing these cancers. Or a decreased expression of, let's say, our gatekeeper, which is P53, may predispose you as well. And KRAS mutations are important as well. But um, we talk about that. That's important for treatment. But keep that in the back of your mind. Not every person who presents with lung cancer is a smoker. Mm. And so it's really important to... um, bear that in mind yep. now let's talk about some of the common presentations andy mm. um okay. and there's the presentations it's sort of somewhat
0: generic because a lot of pe- patients can present with these sort of symptoms so you the generic ones you're talking about are the cough a coughing which is very common mm. dyspnea uh, trouble like the shortness of breath yeah. um chest pains when especially when it's invaded into other chest structures coughing up blood so hemoptysis yep. Uh, hoarseness of the voice they're all very common mm. uh, but also equally as common is that they have it they could be of an asymptomatic presentation which is since the lung cancer uh, from my understanding is that the lung cancers don't really cause these symptoms until they're quite a uh, they're quite well established then yeah. that is partially why uh, they're such a huge problem mm. in terms of their lethality
1: and imagine you can just have a cough and just not think twice about it right yeah. and then you this cough continues for two years three years and then the next thing you come you have this massive mass in your chest that right. unfortunately has invaded and metastasized there's an important symptom that we really need to mention and what that's called Horner's um, syndrome, right? Horner's syndrome. Have you heard about that? No, I haven't. No, I'll, I'll quickly mention this. So these are associated with tumors in the pancost area. So that's in the apical regions of the lung. Okay. And obviously, remember how you had the laryngeal recurrent nerve and all these other various nerves that are run in that area mm-hmm. and also some of these sympathetic nerves. Mm. Now, the these tumors in that area in the apical portion of the lung compress the laryngeal nerve, okay. recurrent laryngeal nerve. So that causes hoarseness of the voice that we mentioned. Oh. But it can also compress... Sympathetic pathways, because remember your superior uh, your superior cervical chain mm-hmm. is the from the sympathetic pathway is the one that goes all the way into your brain and controls you know let's say your ocular function and things like that. Sure. So you're going to get ptosis of the eye, so you're going to get drooping of the eye. Yeah. And so yeah, so you can have these tumors. You particularly get worried about those pancost tumors because they can cause compression of those nerves further up okay and so you might also get numb hands because ah. the, um, there's a lot of innovation that goes in that region oh, so, so was that's that,
0: was that why like um in the physical examinations for rest you also could look for the uh, muscle wasting in the hands
1: yes and... possibly yeah, ah, yeah exactly cool. so yeah because yeah, you're uh, worried about lung cancers in that region but that's you know you guys might come across it and it's important to mention it, so that's called horner's syndrome oh, no, um yeah, yeah keep that in the back of your minds whenever you're examining patients yeah. um, with a cough
0: now, what happens if there's metastases, Andy? Are you referring to, like, let's say, where would we look for mm. Or Yeah, there's a mm.
1: particular area, because, you know, this is in the thoracic cavity, mm. the mediastinum is there, which we mentioned before, mm. um, and there's lots of key structures that are there. What happens in that sort of circumstance? What do you mean? So I guess if you have metastases, you can go. It can go into the superior vena cava. That okay. mass can then compress ah. the area, so it can potentially obstruct. Yeah. We already kind of mentioned about Horner's syndrome mm-hmm. and its potential to affect the recurrent laryngeal nerve, but also brachial plexus. So you can get a wasting and weakness as well.
0: Sure. Um, what happens if it goes into the ribs? Well, I guess that could um, cause uh, erosions of yeah. the region, and I would I would suspect probably have de- it will compromise the, mm. the structural integrity. Maybe you'd be more uh, prone to I guess fractures. Yeah,
1: and imagine if it goes into the vertebra. Remember how we we'll talk about <sighs> bone mets in a future episode. Yeah, but if you get bone metasis into the vertebra, you're going to increase risk of fracturing and compression of the spinal nerves as well. So sure. it's pretty painful. Sure. Now paraneoplastic tumors i think lung cancers have the most interesting paraneoplastic there's so many of them yeah but let's mention some of the important ones um how does that sound sounds good cool i think small cell lung cancer is associated with lots of paraneoplastic sort of syndromes yeah we'll
0: mention why once Mm -hmm. we get to it yeah but do you want to mention a few examples of uh from from my understanding so let's say with small cell lung cancers they can you can have an associated uh, endocrine malfunction so for example you could get a presentation of cushing syndrome mm. which is a, a um, ir- irregularity with the or acth secretion
1: i think small cell lung has actually produces acth which What's is it? crazy because i think it's a neuroendocrine tumor what? so it has both neuronal as well as endocrine function so it's yeah. Yeah, it's crazy
0: oh that would also explain then the other one which is the inappropriate um ADH production, the yeah. SIADHs, yeah. then, which are also associated with small cell lung cancers. Exactly. Ah, okay, so that's why they're. Uh, that's one. That's one of the paraneoplastic syndromes that they're associated with. Mm. What other things that can be found?
1: Squamous cell can cancers can, uh, for some reason, cause release of um, parathyroid hormone or parathyroid-like peptide, okay. and that can cause bone re- uh, bone resorption. Yep. So you're going to start developing osteoporosis and hypercalcemia, and that cases as you add an increased risk of fractures but also remember for some reason it's unknown but it can cause clubbing of the fingers as well it causes some sort of change in your um, nail bed Mm. something happens i don't know whether it's hypoxia or the effects of the tumor Mm. and so you can develop clubbing if you guys are not sure what we mean by clubbing it's a important sort of hand examination feature that you look for in abdominal but also cardiac and resp as well Mm. so maybe look at some images and look for the shamrock sign as well yes let's leave it at that so it's important to just keep in mind that lung cancers have some really weird paraneoplastic syndrome and the reason they have weird paraneoplastic syndrome is that small cell lung cancer is a neuroendocrine cancer so it does hormones and maybe some weird neuronal um, features as well Hmm. but i think this kind of is a great segue into brief talk about investigations and then let's get into the tumors
0: Okay, so when we investigate for lung cancers, um, I think a great way to start would be chest X-rays. Isn't mm, it? I think that's how it's found. And so you, they can, The limit of it is that it can pick up from tumours that are from one to two centimetres yeah. and onwards. Yeah. Yeah. What else can you use?
1: I think CT scans can be used as well, and CT scans are more sensitive, so they pick up smaller tumours, point one to um, to one millimetre, much sens- much more sensitive than um, mm. than X-rays. But the problem is. It might pick up this mass, but you don't know whether it's a um, sort of an enlarged lymph node or whether it's because it's so sensitive that it maybe it's starting to then detect false positive oh. situations because that spec could be an lymph node and it could just be. In, normal finding because the person's had an infection sure so it's important to interpret these sort of things in in a clinical context um i think can
0: you do pet scans pet scans definitely are used as well and they highlight lesions with an increased metabolic activity Mm. but once again inflammatory lesions could also show this so possibly it's it's things that you pick up but whether if they're actually diagnostic then i think Mm. it just points you in the the suspicion uh it points you in the right direction but you know you can't diagnose it purely
1: off that and remember we mentioned that in our mediastinum talk that you can get lymphomas as well so you know Mm. this could be a red herring could be a lymphoma instead of a lung cancer because they're all in that sort of region they are so like how do you definitively find out there's a couple of important things you can
0: do yes so let's say um so once again i think pathological biopsies uh, are one of the gold standards to do so fine needle aspiration Mm. or biopsies are better suited Fine aspirations themselves, they're better suited for lung cancers that are in yeah. the periphery. And what we mean by that they're more on the outer edge of the lungs, closer to the chest wall. Yeah, right? so you can actually put a needle in there. Yes. Uh, otherwise, if, let's say, the tumor is more centrally closer to the carina and the main bronchi, then, you know, you can't really jab it. Uh, a 10 centimeter needle through the someone's <laughs> you chest you might on. get the heart you might break the sternum. <laughs> so it's not the best approach yes so no that that's not, not somewhere where the aspiration doesn't work but we have got another method and how mm. do you know which one that is
1: uh, are you talking about bronchoscopies? Yes. Yeah. I think, yeah, bronchoscopies is so when you send the scope down into um, the, the bronchi. Um, yeah. I think there's obviously a limit on how far you can go depending on the lumen of the, yes. the bronchials, Um, But mm. that's really useful, I guess, in central tumors where the, um, the tumor has actually invaded the, the bronchi. Obviously, that's terrible for the patient because it could potentially block airflow but you can send the scopes there and you can then biopsy it like that or wash the the bronchi Mm. suck out the fluid and look at the cells that you have Ah. Um, so that's
0: another way of approaching it
1: is it true that mucus samples can do something as well
0: especially like let's say in a centrally located tumor when they're located near the bronchi then the mucus ciliary uh, escalator part of the normal structures of the lungs they're going to bring up the mucus and then when you get the person just to cough and you know hack up like a, a Um, some mucus Mm. then you can sometimes find these malignant cells yeah yeah exactly right Mm.
1: now i think that's all i want to talk about investigations should we talk about pathophysiology yes why not great so we've got lung cancers right there's two key types what are they
0: small cell lung cancers and non-small cell lung cancers.
1: exactly and i think small non-small cell has a few components doesn't it yes
0: and what are they andy um so we've got the squamous cell carcinomas you've got adenocarcinomas that we mentioned yeah we've got large cell uh carcinomas which are interesting because from what i understand is that as long as they don't display characteristics of small squamous or adenocarcinomas then they're so far chucked into large cell carcinomas. yeah they just can't be sort of categorized into <laughs> so far yeah, but yeah maybe later on they're going to get further class- reclassified again but then we've also got a, a myriad of different non-small cell lung cancers but we'll just focus on these these guys for now
1: right? yeah exactly mm. um all right so Let's talk about so adenocarcinomas. I think account for about thirty to forty percent of cases of non-small cell, followed by squamous and
0: large cells. Quite not as uh, not as prevalent. Actually, yeah. So as as you mentioned already, so the non-small lung cancers are the predominant lung. Yeah, about eighty-five percent of cases are are of of lung cancers. Great. So sorry, continue on. Yes. Yeah.
1: So do you want to maybe mention um, Mm. some features of adenocarcinomas that are important for us to know? Sure.
0: So the adenocarcinomas, once again, to hit uh, the point over over again and again, is that these are the cancers that are associated less likely with smoking. Yeah. Okay. So these are peripherally located, so on the sides, and they are slower growing. It's important to know where they're located because, as we mentioned, that depends on how you're going to target and mm. treat the bio- uh, to biopsy and, you know, differentiate it. Okay. So these are more common primary tumors in women and of patients less than 45 years old. And exactly. um, they can have acinar, papillary, or solid types on, on a histological observation. Yeah. And they produce mucin. Because they're adenocarcinoma. Mm-hmm. So they're sort of glandular type cells. Yes.
1: And I, the next one, I guess, is the squamous carcinomas. And yeah. they're more common in females. No, mm-hmm. oh, sorry. They're more common in men than, than, than women. Okay. Yeah. There's obviously a strong association with smoking and it's central. I've got a good way of thinking about this. So if you smoke, you're going to get a lot of cigarette smoking in the central areas first before they go into the the more peripheral bronchioles. Mm. Now, this constant smoking changes the columnar epithelial cells to squamous epithelial cells through metaplasia. Mm. If you're not sure what metaplasia means, have a listen to our introductory lecture on oncology. And so is it any surprise that squamous cells which have undergone this metaplastic process are found centrally where they're going to get the most exposure Mm -hmm. to cigarette smoking. That makes sense. So that's another way of thinking about this sort of pathophysiological transformation of it.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, Now, the only problem is because they're centrally located, there's a lot of lymph nodes. they are all, all the hilar lymph nodes, um, which drain the mediastinal yeah. structures uh, of uh, lymphatic fluid. Are there? Yes. So they're going to metastasize to the hilar lymph nodes. Uh-huh. Now that can then mean that could possibly lead to communication between the two lung, so they can go from the left lung to the right lung, um, and so you start to get really worried about it. One interesting thing about this cancer is that it can form cavities because it's rapidly growing. you yep. can develop central necrosis; those cells, die, those cells then die, and so yep. there's this just empty cavity there. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's um, yeah, it's it's a really concerning process. But yeah. I hope that sort of analogy about cigarette smoking and metaplasia kind of mm. helps you guys remember it. Do you want to maybe finish up by talking about large cell?
0: Yes. So with large cell carcinomas, they they lack a cytological differentiation, and they're essentially large cells with large nuclei. Mm. They have under the microscope they're they're giant cells with spindle cell variants they could be central they could be peripheral but i i suspect and like this i think this was talked to us by the um the the oncologist was that due to their the way they're classified Mm. a lot of them are just dumped into this category so there is no clear central or peripheral um characterization and they have a poor prognosis. So, mm. so they spread to distant sites early. Yeah, the exactly case. right. The way to remember it, I think some of these light
1: cell customers are regarded as neuroendocrine. And remember how we okay. mentioned neuroendocrine? which another example of, would, of that would be small cell carcinoma, which we're, going yes. about, we're about to talk about. Both of these guys are highly aggressive. So that's another way of remembering it. So the two neuroendocrines, which is light cell carcinoma and small, and small cell carcinoma, are ah. extremely aggressive. So that's another way of thinking about it. Yes. But yeah, now that we're on the topic, do you want to maybe briefly talk about small cell carcinoma? So we'll go
0: into the small cell classification. They account for about, about 15% of lung cancers yeah. and they are centrally located. As you mentioned, they're aggressive. So they have rapid growth and early dissemination. Mm. And... The primary um, point of the the cell, sometimes uh, of the cancer, can be difficult or possibly impossible to find. Yeah. This could be. Uh, I think sometimes people just develop a paraneoplastic syndrome, yeah. and then they, they people just don't find the um, uh, the primary cancer. I think it's the
1: paraneoplastic syndrome that gives it away that these patients maybe might have you know small cell lung cancer because they've got it's got some really unique yeah. sort of neoplastic syndromes. Yeah, we yeah. were having before we actually talked about this. We kind of. Mm. mentioned a little bit about staging i think it's worthwhile mentioning it but before we do that how do you treat this again
0: so with small cell lung cancers you primarily treat it with chemotherapy mm. rather than surgery and i think there's a reason towards it and which we'll go through yeah. but uh, before we move on to any other topic we mentioned as you might have picked up when we talked to each cancer we we also mentioned whether they're centrally or peripherally located yeah and i've, I've i think i've got a I've found a way that you can, uh, memorize it relatively mm. easily. So if you see a lung cancer that starts with an S, so let's say squamous cell carcinoma or small cell carcinomas, think of them as centrally. So you just associate the S sounds. Yeah. So squamous, small, central. Oh, that's really good. Yeah, I like so that. I know C isn't spelt with an S, but yes, yeah, it sounds a, like it. Yes, it does. So squamous, small, central. So yes, the rest are. Yeah, that's great. Gen- I really well, well, like that one. Okay, let's
1: um, that. So, let's okay. briefly talk about staging, because I think the TNM staging applies for non-small cell
0: lung cancer, but hmm. I don't think it applies for small cell lung cancers. Why is that, Andy? Because I think what they found is that small cell lung cancers usually, by the time they find it, it's mm-hmm. already metastasized. And so, staging, according to the TNM, doesn't really yeah. uh, apply. The, by the time they find it, it's already so late stage that, you might have noticed that most stage fours are already... If, you, if it's metastasized, then it's straight away a stage four. Yeah, exactly. So they stage it probably a bit differently. So I think you have early and late stage. Early being you've caught it
1: early, late obviously is if it's spread. Mm-hmm. But whereas your non-small cell lung cancers, it's staged just like the way we've always learned it. If you're not sure about staging, refer to our previous podcast on it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so you have stage one to stage four. Stage one is generally treated with surgery. Mm-hmm. Stage two mm-hmm. is typically chemotherapy Stage three a, which is um, so stage three is advanced, but it hasn't metastasized. Three a, it's an earlier stage of, of it. So stage three mm-hmm. a is, I think, chemotherapy. But stage three b is chemo radiotherapy, mm-hmm. and obviously stage four, once it's spread, you know, mm-hmm. radiotherapy is not much used, so you just give chemotherapy.
0: Yeah. Um. But rules of thumb wise, small cell lung, uh, small cell carcinomas, they're treated chemotherapy as the primary, um, straight away. Whereas non small cell lung cancers, you can look into trying to excise it with the surgery first Mm. and then go on to uh, chemotherapy later on. So that's a a very important differentiating point between these two cancers. Yeah,
1: exactly. Now, why is the prognosis so... You know, we've made so much game with, you know, let's say colorectal cancer with... We'll talk about cervical cancer for the future as well. Mm. Why is the survival so poor and in so mm. many years now?
0: And I think this the answer to this question also corresponds to why this is still the largest killer mm. of all cancers. is because that we don't have a good way to actually pick up on it early.
1: Yeah, we don't have an effective screening strategy. And obviously with colorectal, we have colonoscopies and fecal occult blood tests. Yes. I think there's been a lot of controversy with lung cancers about screening Doing chest mm-hmm. sectors on you know smokers and things like that, but I don't think it's actually taken off. Sure. Um, yeah, so there is no effective um, you know screening in place for it. Mm. What does the, like the future hold for, for uh, approaches to, to lung cancer? I think there are some novel treatments that you can give now.
0: Oh, I haven't been actually looking at this area. What what, what have you found?
1: I think um, the, there's a few approaches, and that relates to genetics that we talked about for okay. patients that express EGFR. I think now you have specific EGFR targets. I believe cetoximab is an example of an EGFR target. Oh. And with KRAS mutations as well, you also have targets for KRAS as well. Yeah. I think nib or is it gifitnib? One of the one of nibs can target <laughs> it. One of the, the nibs is targeted. Yeah. So that's, I guess, where the future is. Now there's yeah. more personalized treatment approaches. Yeah. And so hopefully that's going to improve survival. But really, until you have good screening in place, mm. you want to catch the cancers early. Once it's spread, you know, cure, achieving a cure is very hard. Yeah. Um, so that's it for lung cancer. So we mentioned that we've got small cell and non small cell. Mm-hmm. In non small cell, you have adeno, squamous, and light cell. Mm-hmm. Small cell has a really bad prognosis, but thankfully it only accounts for about 15% of lung cancers. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, you can't, you treat small cell with chemo, mm-hmm. whereas with uh, non small cell, it really depends on the stage. So early stage surgery, late stage chemo. Mm. um do you is there anything else you want to add i think that was a beautiful summary beautiful so that's it guys thanks for tuning in um we're going to keep progressing with all of these cancers um so yeah hopefully you're learning lots uh, and we're learning lots as well we've got exams so it's keeping us on our toes. thanks guys <laughs>